It's day two in Hoover, Alabama. SEC Media Days back in full force. Georgia and Tennessee both on the hot seat today. Questions about the quarterback in Oxford as well. And speaking of which, you're looking at a live hey shot of Coach Lane Kiffin speaking today at SEC Media Days for the first time as the Ole Miss head coach. We'll have more on the Rebels coming up shortly. We are happy to be here day two of SEC Media Days on College Football Live. I'm Wendy Nix with Joey Galloway and Greg McElroy. We will talk more about what Lane Kiffin had to say shortly, but we start this afternoon between the hedges. So many questions for the Georgia Bulldogs. For quite some time, they've been just on the outside looking in, and they're trying to get over the hump. The dogs have been on the outside of the college football playoffs for the last three seasons. The 2021 campaign starts off with a huge test against Clemson. Coming back for Georgia, quarterback JT Daniels. The USC transfer took the starting job midway through last season and was a major upgrade at QB, recording a perfect 4-0 record. But while the offense brings a lot of production, Kirby Smart has plenty of holes to fill on defense. Guys like Aziz Ojolari, Richard LeCount, and Eric Stakes off to the NFL. The weekly meetings we've had that we've drawn time away from football have been incredible. The gains we've received in players being able to confront each other. You know, it's easy to say the guy's not doing his job to, to demand him to do it right, but it's, it's hard when you have a unified group pulling in the same direction to be the outlier. The decision-making process, touchdown to interception ratio, protecting the ball, um, using your playmakers, which both had really good playmakers around them. JT has those skill sets. You know, Coach Munkin has that experience doing it in the NFL. I mean, with Tampa Bay, they led the league in, in passing. So he has, we have the, the recipe for those things. We have a lot of players that when they have the ball and in the right situation, do a lot of really good things. And uh, my strength in, in what I do is, you know, being able to read the defense and determine the best place for the ball to go that's going to help us move the chains and score points. Greg, it's not the first time we asked this question during SEC Media Days, but I do think it's what people want to know. How good, realistically, can Georgia be this time around? They can win the national championship, Wendy, and it's because they have solidified a, a position that was really a struggle last year, and that's with JT Daniels at quarterback. We found out pretty early, I guess, in the college football playoff era that you have to have a difference-making quarterback if you want to contend against some of the elite teams around the country. And if there's one thing we've also found out is that the national champion in the last few years has averaged over 500 yards a game. Well, that was never Georgia. They now have that guy in JT Daniels that can distribute the football, that can push the ball down the field, that averaged more than 10 yards an attempt in his final four games of the 2020 season. So he carries over some momentum, Joey. Got to figure out what his supporting cast looks like at wide receiver, but they definitely have the right guy pulling the trigger, and that's where it really starts and ends offensively for Georgia as they head into this season. That's where it starts. I, I don't know if it ends there because, like you said, they still have to figure out some things uh, out wide, which was part of their problem last season, is figuring out the receiver positions once you deal with injuries and guys leaving, those kind of things. Uh, but when you talk about the national champions and, and how many yards uh, they get, yeah, that's one side of it. But defensively, somebody has to slow down those teams if you're going to have a chance. And that doesn't mean shut them down. It means get some stops in key positions and key situations to get your team back the ball. I don't know that Georgia is that team just yet. Could they win a national title? Yeah, well, sure they could. I don't know that I put them in the top four teams that I would think have a real legit, legitimate shot at winning it. 
But if they can get things put together, like you said, they're a team that is talented enough to get there, but they still got to get through Alabama at the end of the day. They're not on their regular season schedule, but if Alabama shows up the way we expect Alabama to show up, they will get to the SEC championship game. Then a team like Georgia is going to have to get through them to get to the playoff. And I don't know that that's Georgia this season. It's a perfect segue, Joey, because when you talk about Georgia, you have to talk about Alabama, especially if you're talking big picture and looking long term to the playoffs. How do how does Georgia match up with Alabama? Well, it, it's interesting. We always talk about Alabama and all the pieces they lost, and, and we don't know what they're going to be this season. I was there in the spring. They're going to be really good once again. I don't know how you match up with Alabama at this point. Now that their offense is, is rolling the way it is, and they're expected to be really good on the defensive side of the football, this is a team that, number one, you cannot make mistakes at all. And JT Daniels has been pretty good at taking care of the football uh, since he became the starter. But that's the key. You can't make mistakes. You can't give them extra chances. And when you have your opportunities, you have to capitalize. And we've seen Georgia come close. They've played Alabama very well in the past few years, just haven't been able to pull it off and get a win. A mistake here and there in a game against a team like Alabama will absolutely kill you. Georgia, if they get to that situation, the SEC championship game, they have to play, number one, their best game. But mistake-free football is the only way to get it done. Yeah, without question, Joey. And you look at this Georgia defense, and they've played pretty well against Alabama in years past. Now, they didn't face an Alabama team like last year, of course. They didn't do so well last year defensively. And they gave up 42 points per game against both Alabama and against Florida. Well, against the other eight teams on their schedule, they allowed just 14 points a game. So this is a group that did a great job feasting on subpar opponents offensively. But when they faced off against top-tier opposition and teams that can really take the top off the defense, they struggled. So I think they've now have res kind of resigned to the fact that, y'all, we can't beat Bama 24-21, 28-24, 31-28 even. They might have to beat them 45-42. 55, 40, 48, something along the lines of that. So I think they now have gotten to the point where, yes, they can definitely defend better than most, but you can't defend every team like you can some of the lower-level teams that they might face throughout the SEC East. So it will be fascinating to see if they really empower the offense and if they're okay with allowing games against both Alabama and Florida, the, probably the two toughest games on their schedule outside of the Clemson game. Are they okay with winning a track meet? That's not something Kirby Smart's been real comfortable with in the past, but maybe here in 2021 with the quarterback he has and the offensive skill he has, that might be something he might get more comfortable with moving forward. Given the pieces in place, he may not have another choice. So let me ask you this. You know, it's somewhat of a loaded question, Greg, but, I, I mean, I, I think you have to wonder, is it now or never for Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs? No, it's not. And this is a roster that has consistently gotten better. And if you look at Kirby Smart's second year, they almost won the national championship. And that frontline talent that was starting in that national championship game, several of which have gone on to make millions of dollars in the NFL, that frontline talent was outstanding. But the depth behind that frontline talent wasn't quite where the team is at right now. Well, yes, in some spots, they were probably a little more gifted, perhaps maybe at running back where you had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, perhaps even along the defense with Lorenzo Carter, and Roquan Smith, all these other great players on that 2017 roster. But if those guys were to have gone down, 
the, the guys behind them weren't anywhere near as good as the frontline starters. The depth on the team has improved. And the other thing that they've really tried to emphasize, when you look at Clemson, you look at Ohio State, and look at Alabama, and even to a certain extent Oklahoma, the teams that are perennially getting to the college football playoff, or at least in the mix for the college football playoff, they're all elite at wide receiver, Joey. And I hate to give wide receiver credit. It's become a premier position, and that's the one position on the roster where Georgia hasn't necessarily been on the same level as some of the teams that are being in the college football playoff every single year. So they've improved their recruiting there. They've gotten more multidimensional at wide receiver. Now with a quarterback that can at least enable those guys on the outside, hopefully that group speeds up to where some of the other teams that are always vying for the playoff are as well. And that's the part about Georgia that makes me a little bit worried. Uh, JT Daniels is a really good quarterback, but it doesn't actually matter how good he is if the weapons on the outside can't do their job and become explosive. Georgia is a team that has been very successful. Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart has been very successful. Unfortunately, uh, the way we judge teams in, in the playoff era is how many times have you been to the playoff? And if you haven't been there and you're a team that uh, is at the level of a Georgia, all of a sudden it may look like you're not successful, but they've been a very good football team, like you said. Uh, it, it was the difference between last season was the difference between what they look like against Florida and Alabama versus everyone else. But that's still a successful football team. I don't think this is now or, or never for Kirby Smart. And as we talk about them compared to an Alabama, Alabama's going to be really good. Every single year, Alabama's retooling. I don't think that's the comparison at all. When you're Georgia, you have to win those games you're supposed to win, and then you're going to have to knock off of Florida, whoever else is on your schedule, and get to the SEC championship game to give yourself a chance to knock off maybe an Alabama. Well, speaking of knocking off a team, things will get real very quick for Georgia. And the reason being, the Dogs take on their old rivals from Clemson for the first time in seven years. And oh, by the way, that's week one. Don't forget, South Carolina shocked Georgia in their last trip to Athens two years ago. They meet up in week three. And then UGA closes out its conference schedule on November 13th at Tennessee, two weeks after their date with Florida in Jacksonville. But listen, starting off with Clemson is no easy feat, Joey. Uh, any thoughts on that initial game right out of the gate for Georgia? Well, I love that matchup. I love it for college football fans. I think it's great for both teams. And it's not a, a, a do or die situation for those two teams to, to take that game. I think both teams should be credited no matter who wins the game. It's tough. Now, we talk about retooling. Clemson will be retooling. They lost a, a lot of weapons, but they always do. They'll be good once again. And we get to see right out of the box what these teams look like. If you're Georgia, that's not a do or die situation. If you look at the rest of their schedule, there's no Alabama, there's no LSU. They should be favored in the rest of their game. So even if they lost to Clemson and they win the rest of their games, they'll be absolutely fine. But I can't wait to see that matchup. Obviously, playing against a team like Clemson is extremely difficult. Doesn't matter who you are, what kind of talent you have, what kind of expectations you're going into the season with. But one thing it does, and at least I've experienced this as a player, when we were playing in my first start as a college player, we played against Virginia Tech. They were the number seven team in the country. We were the number five team in the country. And know what that forced us to do? It forced us at least in the summer and even to a certain extent in fall camp, the level of urgency was at an all-time high. Sometimes when you're coming out of the gates and you're playing against a team that you're going to beat and you're probably favored by four or five touchdowns against, 
your fall camp's not going to have the same sense of, hey, we better be ready to roll week one. When you have a team and an opponent like Clemson on the schedule, the way that can affect your mindset as a player could have a lot of benefits for both Georgia and Clemson, knowing that the preparation's going to be ramped up to another level. And on top of it all, even if you lose that game, at least you played against a team that could exploit you. Now, after week one, whether you win or lose, you know exactly what you need to work on in the next 11 games in order to better position yourself for a playoff run late. So uh, I think having a great week one opponent's a real wonderful thing for these teams. And of course, like Joey said, for college football fans, it's a match made in heaven. It's a great it's a great thing for college football fans. September 4th, 7:30. I mean, you almost have it marked on your calendar Labor Day weekend. It doesn't get much better than that. Speaking of Clemson, uh, ACC Media Days kick off later this week, and of course you'll hear from Dabo Sweeney, but he couldn't wait. Just had too much to say, and he held a press conference this afternoon. Here's what he had to say. Our team isn't for it. You know, I, I met with my team. Our, te our team wasn't for it. They don't want to play more games. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think there's 12 teams good enough. Um, so you got to play more games just to play more games. And, and I think the more you expand it, the less important the season becomes. And again, the more you become the NFL as far as, all right, oh, you're in the playoffs. Well, you know, why play Trevor in this game? You're already in. Just play the other guys, you know. And the more all of a sudden now you're not in the top 12, kids just aren't playing. I mean, I just think there's, again, uh, unintended consequences. coaches talking about the expanded 12-team playoff that we may very well see, Greg, and he's not in favor of it. We've heard North Carolina say uh, those players a lot not in favor of it either. What's your take on what Coach Sweeney had to say? If I were Dabo, I wouldn't want to change a thing because right now everything is set up to favor yeah, teams like Clemson, right? Why would you mess with Happy? They're making the playoff on an annual basis and they are really benefited by playing an ACC schedule that's not as daunting as some of the other leagues you see scattered throughout college football. They are by far and away the best team in their league. And that's not necessarily the case in places like the Big 12, places like the Big 10, even to a certain extent, places like the SEC, even though Alabama has reigned supreme for quite some time, even though LSU a couple years ago had an awful lot to say about that. But if I were Dabo, Joey, I would say the exact same thing. Why would we change? It's perfect for me, and he's only going to look at it from his perspective. And right now, the 14 playoffs working awfully well for the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, I'm surprised we start talking about 12. I thought, I, Greg, I thought for sure you was going to talk us into six, maybe eight. <laughs> but the jump all the way to 12, I, I agree with that. But I, that's too many. Now, I'm not saying that it shouldn't expand, and, and I actually, I like where it is, I like the four, but if we had to expand, it's easier to swallow a six or maybe an eight. When you jump to 12, and now, like he said, you're playing a lot more games, uh, and, and it's much closer to an NFL season where 12 teams get in. And I guarantee you, if we get to that place, uh, especially because of the transfer portal and how much there's no depth at quarterback at any school at this point, when you get to games that are meaningless, I agree with Dabo. Why would Trevor Lawrence play? Why would a Justin Fields play? Why would a Mac Jones play in these situations if you know your team's going to be inside that top 12, all of a sudden you can start holding out players and not playing in meaningless games? 
Well, six straight playoff appearances, two national titles to to that end. If it's not if it's not broken, don't fix it. And you know Dabo Sweeney doesn't think it's broken the way his team has performed. Uh, so to be continued, again, you'll hear from Coach Sweeney coming up a little bit later this week at ACC Media Days. Meanwhile, we got plenty more from Hoover, Alabama. Josh Heupel is the new head man in Knoxville. What will it take for him to get the Vols back on top of the ACC? We will discuss that and look at the Vols schedule coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There's been a changing of the guard on Rocky Top. Josh Heupel replaces Jeremy Pruitt. Heupel was 28-8 in three seasons at UCF, including 12-1 in 2018. However, the head coach is still searching for a starting quarterback. The competition remains open between returning Vol Harrison Bailey and two transfers, Hendon Hooker from VaTech and Joe Melton from Michigan. And Heupel will have his work cut out for him, looking to turn around an offense that ranked 111th in the nation in points per game and their total QBR second to last in the SEC. When you get the right alignment from uh, president to chancellor to athletic director to head coach and you hire a great staff um, and you're consistent and you're accountable, I feel like you have an opportunity to move things forward uh, quickly. And there's certainly challenges that we face as a program, but there's great opportunities. And that's why I came to Tennessee. This is Tennessee. This is one of the iconic programs in all of college sports and all of college football. We get an opportunity to celebrate the great traditions while I put a new age approach on it. And our kids and our staff, they're all there because of that, right? They chose the power T for those reasons. Our staff chose the power T for those reasons. Uh, we're going to go out and compete every single day and push forward. Heifel ran one of the nation's top offensives while he was at the helm at UCF. The Knights led the FBS in yards per game during his three seasons in Orlando and were the only team in the FBS that ranked in the top 10 in both passing and rushing yards per game. Greg McElroy, is Josh Heifel the right man to bring Tennessee back? We certainly hope so. And if there's one thing that I know is that he's going to put forth what is a very entertaining product. Now, the big question, Joey and Wendy, is whether or not they're going to be able to defend in the SEC running the style of offense that Josh Heupel's bringing to Knoxville. He's going to snap the ball upwards of low 80s, maybe even mid 80s snaps per game offensively. Well, what that does when you're throwing it all over the lot, that's going to put an awful lot of strain on your defense, especially if you're not manufacturing a lot of first downs. So I am really interested in seeing how he's going to balance playing with the tempo he played with at UCF while still trying to put forth a really impressive offensive effort while still maintaining solidarity on the defense side of the football where they didn't do a great job of 
doing that at, at UCF and the defense paid the price. And you think you have to be balanced in this league a little bit more than he was at UCF. So he's going to figure it out. I trust him. I think he's a great quarterback mind and will put up some gaudy offensive stats, which will be entertaining for Vol fans. But will it lead to enough victories to keep them happy, at least here in the near term when times are turbulent? I think Tennessee was so bad at times last year that Greg started off with, I hope so. Because nobody really knows what to expect out of Tennessee right now. No one would have guessed that Tennessee would win two games last season or four games a game the season before that because they've been talented. And when you watch them, you can see the talent, but for some reason, they haven't been able to put it together and play good football. And talent doesn't matter if you go out and you make mistakes and, 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 and you don't play uh, the, the type of football that can win football games. That's just been what Tennessee is. Terrible on offense. Now they bring in a terrific offensive coach. We'll see if Heupel can at least turn this offense around and expect to see them look much like an old Miss look with Lane Kiffin last year where they came in scoring a lot of points, but on the other side, the other team was scoring a lot of points also. So the one area that was absolutely abysmal was the offense, so we expect that to be better. And then we'll see if they can find a way to win games. Tennessee doesn't win the games that they're supposed to win. It's not talking about knocking off a Florida or a Georgia or, or maybe a Bama if they have them on the schedule. They lose to teams that they're favored to beat. And that's the part that they have to correct to figure out if Tennessee can ever become successful. Joey, you use, you use the word expectations because, again, I mean, and if you think about to the history of this program, you expect them to be a powerhouse. But right now, if you're a Vols fan, what, what's a reasonable expectation for 2021? Reasonable, I would say, uh, number one, be much better on offense, of course. Uh, but, but reasonable, I would say, start to win the games that you're favored to win. Now, we don't know what that looks like yet, but when you look at their season last season and, and they beat in Auburn, but then they lose to Missouri and Kentucky and all these other teams, you try to like figure out how do you beat a top 20 team one week and then lose to all these unranked teams after that. And I think if you look at success for a team like Tennessee that's been down, that's had a really bad couple of years, it is let's start to beat the teams we're supposed to beat. Let's win at home, especially against teams we're, we're better than and, and we're ranked higher than. You have to do those things to at least get started rolling in the right direction. See, uh, I, I don't define success this year, and I told Josh Heupel this point blank. I don't define success in his first season in Knoxville by wins and losses. Uh, I view it in progress. He's stepping into what is an impossible situation. You've had a ton of guys enter the transfer portal on both sides of the football. You have not enough guys on scholarship on the roster right now, and you're playing against what should be one of the toughest SEC groups of teams that we've seen in quite some time. Everyone on the West is better, and the East, in a lot of ways, has strengthened in many different spots as well. So I think expectations don't need to be tied to bowl appearances and or victories. It needs to be about finding a quarterback, all right, creating an identity offensively, where you know what you're going to get when you turn on Tennessee. What am I going to see offensively? Will their quarterback be able to air it out the same way they did at UCF? And then at the next part, repair and, and mend the relationships in the locker room. A lot of the players that are playing for Tennessee right now are hurt about what transpired, about the fact that they're now playing for another head coach yet again after what was a very turbulent 2020 season. 
make sure that you endear yourself to the guys say, hey man, I'm with you. We might not necessarily be where we want to be, but we're going to get there and we're going to get there by doing it this way, this way, this way. And I need you to follow me. I need you to trust me because there's just been so much trust that has been absolutely evaporated the last few years between the players. And I think some of those that are in the administration and the coaching staff at Tennessee. So I think there's a lot of growth that can be had, Joey. But at this point, progress is all you can really ask for because wins and losses are probably still not necessarily going to be an indicator of where they're going in the near future. Greg, all of that sounds great. All of that makes sense. And I actually wish that that's what college football was about. These new coaches nowadays are getting two seasons. And if you're not winning games in two seasons, you're on the hot seat. I agree with everything you said. But unfortunately, the fan base, the administration, whoever's calling shots, they don't think that way. These guys are getting two seasons. I don't care who you got at quarterback. I don't care what you got going on. You better start winning or you're going to be out of here. You're going to be in a hot seat in three, which That's is what absolutely put them in this mess. That's what put them in football. this mess. They've had six different absolutely. head coaches since 2009. They need someone that can help them bridge the gap. Give them four years at the bare minimum. I don't care which direction it's going at that point. I agree. Of course, but that, that's the point. I mean, they, it's, there's almost no such thing as building a program in college football anymore. We just took out the building, and it, it's a program. And, you know, it doesn't always work that way. I will say this. We said this about Texas last week, and, and I'll stand by it for Tennessee as well. College football as a whole is better when a program like Tennessee uh, is one of the elite teams. So, again, uh, tip our hat to Josh Heupel and hope he has some time to develop this program. Uh, speaking of developing Lane Kiffin in year two or heading into year two at Old Miss. And as you know, if you're a college football fan, it is always an adventure when you're riding on the Lane train. We'll hear the Old Miss head man coming out on College Football Live. Let's take a look at some of the season storylines for Ole Miss. Quarterback Matt Corral returns after leading the nation in total offense, ranked top five in the FBS in completion percentage, passing yards per game, and total QBR. Lane Kevin's squad off to a rough start last year, beginning the year one and four, but rebounded to finish five and five, and that included a win over Indiana in the Outback Bowl. Kiffin will have some work to do on defense. The offense wasn't the issue, but Ole Miss's D ranked last in the SEC in total defense and rush yards per game. We got a lot of challenges. Um, first off, defensively improving from last year. I do think signing a lot of kids in the offseason that were mid-years and really having our first spring. You know, I think if you look around the country, first-year staffs uh, really struggled, especially on defense. And so we'll look to improve there. We've got a lot of good players coming back on offense, uh, led by the quarterback. So challenged to get him to play. I think he played as well as anybody in the country at times last year. Um, in the notes coming in, you know, reading them, I guess he was first in the country in total offense per game last year, which I didn't even realize. Um, so it shows the level he can play at. Now he's got to do it more consistent. And I saw in those stats, too, we were first in the conference in rushing a year ago. So we need to continue to build off of that, regardless of the quarterback. Um, you know, even though I know a lot of times people think we just throw the ball wherever we've been, um, you know, we're at our best when we run the ball. And I think they've done that really well at times. 
Greg, you believe in Lane Kiffin, what he's trying to do at Ole Miss? I do. I, I love the way he sets quarterbacks up for success and creates favorable matchups with some of his best players offensively. And I'm just curious to find out who those best players are going to be. Last year, it was Kenny Yaboa at tight end, and obviously Elijah Moore, who was fantastic playing out of the slot. Now it's going to be a little bit different. They do bring back some capable pieces at wide receiver. They also bring back Jerry Ely, who's one of the best all-purpose backs in the country. But the one piece that I'm really interested to seeing how they work him into the mix is John Rice Plumley, formerly a quarterback and at one point one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the entire SEC as far as rushing the football. Well, he's making a full-time transition, even though it's not confirmed. It's widely assumed that he's going to be making the full-time transition to slot receiver. He had five catches for 73 yards in the bowl game against what was a very good Indiana defense. So how much of a game changer can he be as a playmaker is something that I'm really interested in. But Lane Kiffin and calling offensive plays, he's going to score points. He's going to get his yards, and he's going to make life really difficult on opposing defenses week in, week out, Joey. Yeah, I agree with you, but uh, they got to play some defense. Uh, Lane started <laughs> off down that path, saying they got to get better on defense, and then his next 12 sentences are about his quarterback and how good they were on the offensive side. Greg Hughes did the same thing. They're going to score some points, uh, and they were exciting to watch. They were still 4-5 and five in the regular season. They have to play some defense. I don't think they have to be good enough to shut someone down, but they got to get a couple stops, uh, and, and then – in the games when Matt Corral takes care of the football and doesn't have multiple turnovers, they have a chance to win because now they're not giving the ball back to the other team in scoring position with a terrible defense. So it has to go hand in hand. I think they're going to be terrific on offense. They're not going to win many games until they get much better on the defensive side. So, yeah, if you ask me, if, do I believe in Lane Kiffin offensively? He's terrific. Can they win football games? They got to stop somebody defensively. They're not going to be worse than they were last year. Like that's, Greg, that's, the, that's what I'm trying to get. Like, we're sitting here saying, well, they got to be better on defense. Well, the good news is, how can you not be? All right, they, are, they have to be, literally. From a t statistical standpoint, you cannot get much worse. So, I think there's only one direction to go, Joey. It's pointing up, man. Yeah, you're right about that. Well, speaking of statistics, Matt Corral, he, he was right. I mean, he did play well, uh, Greg, but how good is this quarterback? Can he be really, really good? Well, I think Corral is the best returning quarterback right now in the SEC. And I think if you take away the interceptions, which for the most part came in bunches, <laughs> 13 of his 14 interceptions came in three games. So I think if you take away those interceptions and he starts making better decisions while still having that attacking mentality offensively, Joey, this is a guy with a ton of talent and he's a fierce competitor. And I love that competitive spirit that he puts forth <clears throat> every single week. So I think he's going to give you a chance. It's just a matter of whether or not he can take that chance away by throwing it to the other team. Yeah, and, and I'm going to go uh, – I, I like Matt Corral. I think he's really good. You're right. His turnovers are in a few games. But I would say, Greg, with that defense that you just told me is going to be better, it takes a little bit more pressure off of Matt Corral to feel like he has to score 55 points a game. I think you put that kind of pressure on a quarterback – that leads to mistakes, that leads to turnovers. If you're promising us that they're going to be better defensively, it'll only help Matt Corral be a much better quarterback. They, they should be fun to watch. That is a reasonable expectation when we, when we talk about Lane Kiffin and this offensive-minded Ole Miss team. Uh, speaking of fun to watch, you're in for a treat. You see him often, almost every week on College Game Day. You also see him on the Daily Wager. He's called the Bear. 
He's got another name, Chris Valica as well, but he'll talk. Uh, join us and talk a little bit about SEC over and under when we come back. Let's take a look at some of the notable win totals in the SEC this year. These numbers all courtesy of Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill. The defending champs, well, they come in at 11 and a half wins. Crimson Tide have exceeded 11 wins six of the past seven seasons. How about Georgia? The Bulldogs won eight games last year in a shortened season. They did exceed the 10-win mark each of their three previous seasons. And then meanwhile, Florida checks in with... An over-under of nine. The Gators won eight games last year, have pieces to replace on offense, but did exceed nine wins in both 2018 and 2019. The Bear himself, live and in person, joins us. Chris Felica, uh, take us through some of these over and unders in the SEC. We got to start. I mean, it's only right to start with the national champs and where they are. They're at 11 and a half, over or under. Well, it's, it's hard to just predict a perfect regular season because the SEC championship day doesn't count uh, in these win totals. So will Alabama go 12-0? and 0? Uh, The way the numerology works out here and the math, if I had to play this, I would play the over because it's even money. And really, you look at the schedule, Alabama doesn't lose to unranked teams. They have that unbelievable record of, of consecutive wins against unranked teams. And if you fear that maybe they could lose at Texas A&M and you want to hedge some of your bet, just play a little bit on the money line on Texas A&M. It's going to be close to a two-touchdown underdog, and uh, at, at the very least, you, you, you get your bet back. So I almost think this might be one of uh, Nick, favorite, Nick Saban's uh, favorite type of teams where maybe a little bit more defense-reliant than offense-reliant. So uh, if I had to play this, I would go uh, over the 11 and a half because I just don't see very many stumbling blocks on that schedule. One that stood out to me. Craig McElroy, I would agree with you here. Yeah, one that stood out to me, Bear. I like the 11 and a half. I agree with all that. I think that's a really, really difficult number to take the over. Thread the needle like that. It's always tough, even when it's bam. But the one I like, though, Bear, was Kentucky. And that's a team that I think brings back an awful lot on the defensive side. I think along the offensive side, new offensive coordinator, new offensive identity, really good running backs, and it has to be. has to be. Like Ole Miss's defense, they have to be better at quarterback. There's only one direction <laughs> to go from where they were last year. So how do you feel about that number right there at seven? Yeah, that, that number has actually moved. That took a lot of, uh, a lot of action going from six and a half to seven, and I think people really see that. And, and, and I think it's just a point where I think people just kind of think Mark Stoops' program is kind of this flukish-type team where, oh, there's no way he'll continue sending first-round NFL pass rushers into the league. Ah, they did, but, but they are, and I think with Levis, if he can just throw a little bit at quarterback with Wondell Robinson, I, I, I think they feel pretty good. Probably, uh, would, you, would you ever think that Kentucky would have the best offense offensive line in the SEC there's a change I mean they're right up there uh, they love to run the football and the way that schedule breaks down I think they get Louisville in a down year and a lot of other games that are pretty winnable on that schedule so I see seven and five or eight and four much more likely than six and six for the Cats. Bear I agree with you on Alabama because they don't lose the teams are not supposed to lose too so I'm going to go ahead and take all of my money and put on Alabama through the regular season how do you feel about let's get a little tougher Let's go Tennessee. How you feel? I think their number is six. How you feel about Josh Heupel? 
this is this is the win total that I like the most in the entire SEC, and I am under six on the Vols. Look, you, you lose, what, seven starters, including Gray and Toa Toa and Crouch. Uh, I, I think this is a team that is headed down. You've got to win every single one of your non-conference games in order to go over. I don't think the, the game against Pitt is a lock by any means. I don't think they're going to win any of their four games away from home, and I'm and I'm not certain that they're going to beat Ole Miss in Knoxville. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a very rough rebuilding year for Tennessee, both uh, defensively and offensively. So I am uh, I am under the six wins for the balls this year. Bear, one more before we let you go. The most important one: the over/under on the Bear having his best season yet. Well, it, 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 we, we talked about uh, uh, certain defenses and quarterbacks can't be worse. I can't be worse than I was last year. That's for sure. I had my, I had my worst season to date last year. But uh, I, I, I am positive coming off of last year's uh, hiccup, we are going to put forth a great season this year in the, in the plus. We're, we're, all, our, all our chips are in. We got our money on you. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to it. It'll be here before we know Thank it. Thank you. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Kirby Smart, he had a summer vacation, but it was short-lived, as it is for all of these elite college coaches. He's already spoken at SEC Media Days this week and talked about being on vacation with his family a few weeks ago. And uh, was he recognized? Was he, was he not recognized? <laughs> Listen to what he said. I had an elderly lady come over to our table and say, you must be somebody famous. And I said, no, ma'am, I certainly don't think so. She said, are you a professional golfer? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. I'm thinking Augusta, right? And then she said, are you a NASCAR driver? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. And by now, my kids are kind of giggling. And the last one, she said, are you a track star? And my, my daughter almost spit out her food. I got a, 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 a text from Quavo, who's a, a, an avid Georgia fan, and you'd think, wait, a lot of people in this room probably don't know who Quavo is. The first text I got was two weeks after NIL had started and said, Coach, please tell the players, be selective. Who they put their brand with. Don't just do anything. He used the term thirsty. I'm not sure which is better, track star or NASCAR driver, but nonetheless, uh, how about this? You talk about, you know, we all come in different shapes and sizes. One of these Jordans is named Davis. The other Jordan is Rogers, and they switch jackets, fellas, today on the SEC set. And I'm not sure it's a, it's a perfect fit. Uh, it, looked Greg, like Jaylen, it looked like Jalen Rose even, even in on. like a 1992 Big suit, like huge, huge suit, like back in the day in the 90s when we just all wore oversized stuff. That's what it looked like. I was sitting about four feet, well, six feet from him, and it was one of those, it's like, dude, are you really going to do this? You're going to look like a child. And sure enough, he put it on. It was, it was something to behold. The better part, guys, is when Jordan Davis put his arm through Jordan Rogers' jacket. That's way better. You, you could literally hear the <laughs> seams starting to split on the inside. That was the more impressive feat, I think, between the two. Yeah, I, I, would, say, I would say that's about right. Uh, listen, well, they gave a good college try. Roman Harper joins the show coming up. Uh, we'll talk more about the SEC, including a potential dark horse who can challenge Alabama.
College Football Live continues with SEC Media Days this week from Hoover, Alabama. Roman Harper joins us now. And we talked, Roman, earlier at length about the Georgia Bulldogs. And I'll ask you a similar question. Is this their year? Hi, Wendy. Uh, thanks for having me. And yes, it is. Uh, the early stakes are saying that everything's trending in the right direction for Georgia. You look at it, it's all because of the quarterback play of JT and Daniels. What he was able to accomplish at the latter part of the season last year really gives this offense all the identity and the juice that they need. The fact that he could look up, throw all the, and can be able to complete all the passes down the field really lit it up. And now we're not depending on just the running game of Zamir White and Milton. So I really like what Georgia's doing. I like what they've been able to build. The only question mark I have is who's going to replace the big playability of Georgia? George Pickens, because he is an elite-style receiver. He went out with an ACL. I'm looking forward to what they do in that department and also replacing your top five corner cover guys on the outside of your defense and losing your best safety in Richard LeCount. The quickest way to lose a ball game in any game in football is over the top of the defense. So how do you replace those guys in the back end, and how do you replace the big playability of George Pickens on the outside of your offense? Yeah, those cover corners. Uh, it's not like they grow on trees. And, and maybe, look, no. I'm going to ask you another question. Maybe I know your answer, but who's your SEC dark horse? Because we're, if we assume it's Alabama at the top, who's the dark horse? Well, you know, every, it's easy to say Georgia, Florida, Alabama, but I'm going completely different. Missouri is my dark horse team in the SEC this year. They will be the team that when you look up at the end of the year, they're going to be right there at it. And that's because of the quarterback play, again, of Connor Basilak. Last year he was a freshman. He was co-freshman of the year last year in this conference. They bring everybody back. I love what Eli Drinkowitz can do when it comes to play calling on the offensive side. But bringing in the defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, uh, NFL caliber head coach. He's been a head coach. He's been a coordinator. He's done all those other things. He's going to shore up the back end of Missouri on the defensive side. Now they don't give up as many plays on the defensive side. It does not force Connor Bazelak to feel that he has to make every throw or complete every pass or have to score on every drive. That now we're more playing complementary football, and that is how you win games consistently in the SEC, not just from week to week, being different teams but winning week to week because of the consistency in which you play. Listen, that's not the first time I've heard that. I've heard Mizzou a couple of times. Uh, we'll Missouri's see. Missouri's a team, Wendy. I'm telling you, Enjoy trust me. Enjoy the rest of the week in Hoover. Thank I you know, so much. I heard it here. All right. <laughs> uh, listen, Birmingham, Alabama is also uh, the site of Media Days this week. The SWAC is busy there. The event headlined by Deion Sanders, his second season at head coach at Jackson State. Tigers played an abbreviated season this past spring. They finished four and three. Here is prime time. I'm a hands on everything. So when you're talking about putting a new field in, uh, uniforms, helmets, equipment, uh, um, scheduling with our beloved AD, anything that involves football, I'm involved in it. So I don't know what stretch means because that's my lifestyle. Speaking of the SWAC, College Game Day will kick off its season in Hotlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, for the MEAC SWAC Challenge kickoff on Saturday, August 28th. This is hot off the presses. That is week one. Then Charlotte, North Carolina for what else? Georgia and Clemson. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, officially, that is week one, September 4th, 730. And College Game Day will be there. 
Still to come on College Football Live, a look at some of the best name image likeness endorsements players have already signed. Hard to believe, but fantasy football, football season just around the corner. You can start your league with the number one fantasy game. Go to ESPN.com for the details. Uh, college football also just around the corner. No better sign of that than media days. We've already seen the Big 12 uh, this week, the SEC. They will wrap up tomorrow on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday is the Sun Belt and then the Big 10. Uh, listen, the, the NFL, I mean, the, the name image likeness, the change in the legislation has taken effect. And now college players can take advantage of this uh, in a way they've never been able to do before. Clearly, guys, you were not able to do that. So, listen, we've already begun to see some of the early players, as you might expect, from the bigger programs take advantage of this. Uh, a lot of the news coming via Twitter. So these are some of the endorsements we've seen so far. And I, let's start with Alabama's, of course, uh, Malachi Mor Milo's. Is that right, uh, Greg McElroy? That's I'm Milo's, it, right? yes. You're an Alabama guy. Correct. And that's <laughs> a little sweet tea. That's Milo's, sweet tea. All right, how about Texas A&M, Isaiah Spiller raising canes, Joey. He, too, uh, able to benefit from the new legislation regarding name, image, likeness. And then... I like this one. Uh, Arkansas's Trey Knox with PetSmart. Got a cute, cute little puppy here. Uh, you can't, you can't beat that. I will ask you this. I know you weren't able to, but if you too, Joey, had been able to take advantage of this, anything in particular? Little favorite spot in Columbus you might have endorsed? It, it would have been fast food for me. Any fast food restaurant because I was hitting all of them when I was in college. Mine would have been a car. I don't care. Give me a car. Whatever it is, I just want a fresh ride. I want to trade it out every couple months. Mix it up a little bit. One week, a drop top. One week, at least probably an F-150 of some sort. I don't care. Mix it up. I don't care. Give me a fresh ride every couple weeks. Listen, I like it. Joey gets a free Big Mac. You get a free Mercedes. That's all now right. You're That's, talking. That, that makes sense. That's uh, about one right. One thing you two you were able to do is – you were able, you weren't paid. I, I know that. Uh, we, we, we know that. Uh, you were able to be in video games, though, Greg. And I want to show yours first. I know you remember this because I would imagine as a college athlete, it was pretty cool. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's show your guy. There he, oh, there he is. There's, yeah, you see that. You see that, Joey? Right back to the defense, threading it up the seam, two yards outside the hash. Julio Jones high and outside. Oh, ooh. Oh, and I threw a little dance at the back yeah, that, end, too. That, that's. Yeah, that's probably the best shape you've ever been in right there. That's more rhythm than I've game. seen. Oh, Joey. Oh, God. This is Joey's. <laughs> Joey, look at yours. <laughs> uh, that's How about terrible. the graphics? We thought these graphics I mean, were so good. That is awful. Yeah, listen, time, time's how they change. No? <laughs> Uh, listen, but again, we'll continue to see those endorsements as these players take advantage of this. Thought we'd have a little fun with that. Uh, listen, guys, before we go, I, we know the SEC will wrap up uh, their media days tomorrow. Greg, is it safe to say that at the present, given what we know now, will they once again be the most dominant conference in college football? Yeah, it should be. I mean, this league is is continually getting better. I think you can make a case that every team in the West might actually be better, with the exception of Alabama, who is probably the best team, which is remarkable. The East, Georgia continues to ascend. Question marks in a few other places. But, yeah, if you look at the SEC West, it's, it's hard to dispute their dominance and the depth 
of the conference across the uh, across the top and even to a certain extent across the bottom. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Greg. I think the Joey? SEC will be the best conference once again. We'll see what the Big Ten brings, the ACC. But I've got, also got my eye on the Big 12. I think a lot of those teams will be better this year also challenging Oklahoma. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this season. I just can't wait to get started. No question. I, I'm excited to watch the Big 12. I think there's a lot of parity there. The question is if they knock each other off. But they, they may make a run at this thing. Speaking of Alabama, they will be at the mic tomorrow. SEC Media Day is continuing. Hoover, Alabama, they'll wrap things up, and then we'll look ahead to the season.